this message today. There's nothing deep theological in this message. The issue is going to be the practical application of this. So we're just going to go straight forward. What it says, the applying it is what's going to be difficult with this. So with that being said, remember what we talked about last week. We talked about Acts 15, how the church had an issue. It was one of the first main issues the church ever faced. They did three things. They strove for unity. They listened to each other. And then they also let the scriptures be the foundation. So that's what we saw last week in Acts 15. When the church got together, the goal was unity. Jesus prayed for unity. That's what the word says that we're supposed to strive for. They listened to each other. They came in and listened, the Bible says, and they let scripture be the foundation. That was for the body of Christ. What we have here today in Acts 15, 36 through 41 is now interpersonal issues between people. And how did it work out? So verse 36 of Acts 15. Then after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Now, Barnabas was determined to take with them John called Mark. But Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one who departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Then the contention became so sharp that they parted from one another. So Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Sicilia, strengthening the churches. Now, every now and then I'll have somebody come up to me and say, how do you know the Bible's true? And we'll talk about the uh, textual evidence of that. We'll go through all those different things. And sometimes with a smile on my face, I'll say, I know the Bible is true because of stories like this. If I was writing an autobiography about myself, I would not put a story about me having a fight with somebody in it. I wouldn't. This is Paul and Barnabas. These are two of the heavyweights of the New Testament. And they're getting into an argument, and it's recorded for all of eternity in God's Word. That is kind of amazing it's in there. And I'm glad it's in there because it teaches us what are we supposed to do when we have disputes and disagreements with people. So with that being said, this is what the practical application of it is. This is not going to be theologically difficult. It's going to be practically difficult to say you disagree with somebody. How are you supposed to handle it biblically? With that being said, look at verse 36. What's the goal? Let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. What a great goal. We just got done with the missionary journey. It's time to go back. Let's do another one. Let's circle back, see how everybody is doing. We've been talking about this for the last few weeks. We're supposed to encourage. We're supposed to strengthen. We're supposed to uplift. That is the goal. So let's go back and do that. What an absolutely wonderful goal. That's the problem. When you have good spiritual goals, guess what the enemy is going to do? He's going to hit back, and he's going to hit back hard. Since the goal is good, the enemy will push back. If you get up tomorrow and you say, my goal today is to sleep in as late as I can and watch Wheel of Fortune all day, the enemy will not push back. He will say, sounds like a great day, enjoy it. But if you decide tonight, I'm going to get up tomorrow morning, I'm going to do devotions right away, I'm going to be a man or woman of prayer, I'm going to go to work and be a light and a witness, and I'm going to represent Jesus in all my glory and tribulations, the enemy is going to push back because your goal now infects eternity. This goal is a great goal. The enemy is going to push back. Most of the time, the enemy uses outside influences, people, situations. Here it's internal. I expect opposition from the world. I expect opposition from non-believers. I expect persecution from the world. I expect persecution from non-believers. But when it's my brothers or sisters in the Lord, I'm not sometimes ready for that. And what you have going on here in the early church is this is a great goal where we can all agree on, but there becomes a contention, there becomes an argument. 
What is the argument? What is the contention? Barnabas wants to take John Mark with him. Now, if you remember, when we were going through Acts 13, probably about a month or two ago, we said, mark that passage. John Mark went on the first missionary journey, and he jumped ship halfway through. We don't know what happened. We don't know what was going on. We don't know the details. To be quite honest, the details are important. But he left. So now, second missionary journey. Barnabas says, let's take John Mark with him. Now, you've got to remember, the Bible teaches us that Barnabas and John Mark were related. They were cousins. So Barnabas says, I want to take my cousin with me. Paul, in verse 38, says, I'm not taking this guy with me. Now, when you read the wording, verse 37, Barnabas was determined. Verse 38, Paul insisted they should not take with them. The words are a lot stronger than that. Verse 37, Barnabas was determined. That literally means he planned this out. He plotted this out. This is what he wants to do. Have you ever gone into a discussion with somebody and you have already thought it through and you have the greatest idea the world has ever seen? And you're just expecting everybody to agree with you. You've planned it out. You've plotted it out. It's a great idea. Just agree with me. This happens to me a lot at church. Someone will come up with an idea and they'll come and say, Pastor, I think we should do this. They'll explain the idea and I'll say, you know, that, that sounds good. Let me, let's pray about it for a little bit. And I've had people say, well, what, what is there to pray about? It's a great idea. Okay, you've been chewing on this thing for maybe days, weeks, months. I've heard about it for five seconds. Give us a little time to think about this, to pray about this, to check this out. But Barnabas came into this conversation with his mind already made up. That's a dangerous place to be, folks. If you remember correctly, when we went through Acts 15 last week, we talked about how if you already go into the conversation, if you already go into the confrontation with that mindset, you're going to have problems. James 3 says we're supposed to go in planting seeds of peace, being gentle, willing to yield. If you go in looking for a fight, you're going to get a fight. So Barnabas says we're going to take him. But then he runs into Paul. Paul's an amazing guy. I cannot wait to meet Paul in heaven. But I do believe if Paul was around here today, Paul's not the guy you'd want to call if you had a bad day. You would not. He'd give you verses. He'd be theologically sound. They would probably tell you to buck up and get over it. You don't mess with Paul. Barnabas' name is son of encouragement. Barnabas will give you a second chance, a third chance, a fourth chance. Paul would probably say, no. Eternity is too big. We need to move on. His wording there in verse 38, Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one who departed from them in Pamphylia, not gone with them to the work. In the original Greek, he is saying, we should not take with us him who is unworthy. That's Paul's wording. John Mark is not worthy to go with us. Barnabas, your cousin is not worthy. Can you imagine this conversation? Hey, Paul, I think we should go around and go see all the churches again. Paul, it's a great idea. Hey, I'm going to take John Mark with me. I've thought it through. It's a great idea. I'm telling him. Paul, your cousin is unworthy to go with us. Now, them are fighting words right there. I mean, this is going to escalate pretty quick. So what happens? Verse 39, the contention became so sharp that they parted from one another. They couldn't work it out. Now, at this point, I have to tell you, I've heard this passage taught a lot of times, and every now and then there's a pastor that says, oh, this is good. Instead of one missionary journey, we had two missionary journeys. I don't see that. The wording is not edifying. The contention became so sharp. That word is only used twice in the Bible. One time it's good, one time it's bad. It literally means to poke. That's what it literally means. So what happens is what this is literally saying in verse 39 is they poked each other so much... You ever been poked by somebody you didn't want to be around them anymore? See, in Hebrews, it's used good. See, in Hebrews 10, it says we're supposed to stir one another up for good works. It literally means the same word. I'm supposed to poke you, you're supposed to poke me. I'm supposed to look at you and say, I'm going to poke you here, guys. Come on, wake up. 
People are dying and going to hell. Let's go represent Jesus Christ in all we do. So I am poking you in a good way, stirring you up, waking you up. Let's go. And I would hope if you would ever see me becoming lazy in my walk with the Lord, you would come and poke me. That's good. This right here, not good. I'm going to make a little comment to get your attention. I'm going to poke you a little bit. I'm going to throw a little bit of sarcasm your way and poke you a little bit. Became so sharp, they had to depart. Barnabas takes Mark, goes to Cyprus. Paul takes Silas, and he goes the other way. Now, once again, at this point, I've heard this taught before where they say, well, obviously Paul was right because the book of Acts follows Paul instead of following Barnabas. I can't comment on who was right or wrong. I wasn't there. I do know this, that Barnabas' name means son of encouragement. And when you see Barnabas in the Bible, he's always trying to encourage somebody. Is it possible that Barnabas went to his cousin and said, listen, buddy, you really messed up the first time. You really did. Paul's really upset at you. It's not going to work out to go with him. We're going to go on this other missionary journey, and we're going to really work with you, John Mark, because you love the Lord, but you're immature, and we've got to work at this. Is it possible he took him under his wing? We do know how the story ends, and I'm not going to be one of those guys that tries to build up suspense. I'm going to tell you right now how the story ends. In Colossians 4, Paul says, bring Barnabas and John Mark. They're good guys. And in 2 Timothy 4, the last letter that Paul ever wrote, in jail, waiting to be executed. He says, bring John Mark because he's useful to me for ministry. They work it out at the end. And amen to that. Aren't you thankful that the believer you were when you first got saved are not the same believer now? I I can't remember if it was a Sunday or Wednesday a few weeks ago we were talking about the idea of growth. You don't stay on the baby bottle. You're supposed to progress into deeper walk in your Lord. The idea of growing to the stature that God has for you. John Mark obviously did something and couldn't complete the task. He faltered, he wasn't ready, but at the end he was. And what a great conclusion to this. That the early church had contentions, they had fights, they had arguments just like us, but they could work it out in the end. How long did it take to work out? Looks like some years, but it did. Amen. Once again, theologically, there's nothing to argue about this. It's the practical application now of putting this all together. Because this starts to get really difficult now on what are we supposed to do with this information. Because you're going to have issues with people. Let's start out. Luke 17, please. Luke 17. We've got a lot of passages to go today. I hope you'll mark these, follow along with us. Luke 17. I've learned in life little things can become big things pretty quick. Our goal is eternity. Our goal is soul saved. That is all that matters. So therefore, the enemy will do whatever he can to keep us distracted off that. And we'll use all of our time and energy fighting each other rather than fighting the forces of evil for the good of God. Just remember, you only have so much time and energy in the day. If you use that in anger and frustration and bitterness towards towards people, that leaves nothing left for the gospel. Luke 17, verse 1. He, meaning Jesus, said to his disciples, It is impossible that no offenses should come, but woe to him through whom they do come. Here's your starting verse. You are going to get offended by somebody, and you are going to offend somebody. It is just a fact of life. It will happen. It will. Even if you're the most joyous, forgiving person, I've met some people like that, eventually something will bother them. You may be the most loving, kind person. Eventually you are going to say or do something that offends somebody. And maybe somebody very close to you, maybe your spouse, and maybe your kids, a relative, and maybe somebody at work, somebody in the church. I don't know. It is going to happen. That is a fact. Jesus said it's a fact. The rest of this message is, what are you going to do with that now? 
You're going to get offended, and you're going to offend somebody. Now, what do we do a lot of times? We bury it. We get angry. We get bitter. We leave the church. I don't want to be around them. We go to a different church. We just don't even deal with it. What did Jesus say to do? Jump out to verse 3. Take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. That's pretty straightforward. You go to them. Listen, what you did was wrong. He says he's sorry. You forgive him. Birds start singing. Everybody's happy. Hey, let's go see souls get saved. Amen. If you go on, you go on a little missionary journey. That's what's supposed to happen. Does that happen? Oh, what? No, what usually happens is verse 4. He sins against you seven times in a day. Seven times in a day he returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. That's a tough verse. There's a lot of people living in our house. There's a lot of offenses that happen in our house. About every 30 seconds, someone's bothered at my house. So what do we do? Say you're sorry and move on. That's what we do. Say you're sorry and move on. Okay, did he say he's sorry? Yeah, did you forgive him? Yeah, okay, then move on. Yeah, but he's going to do it again. You bet he's going to do it again. He's got sin nature just like you got sin nature. There's only one person in this house without sin nature, and that's Dawn, because she tells me she doesn't do anything wrong. <laughs> but verse 4, if he sins against you seven times in a day, seven times in a day returns you saying, I repent, you shall Forgive him. Now, at this time, we start coming up with the you don't know people. But you don't know. You ever met a you don't know? You don't know what they did to me. You don't know what they said to me. You don't know how much their words hurt me. You don't know how long I put up with this. You don't know. No, I don't. Jesus does. And he hung on the cross and said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And then in Ephesians 4, it says, just as Christ forgave me, I'm supposed to forgive other people. So Jesus knows. So I look at this, and I'm supposed to forgive. Remember, forgiving somebody doesn't mean what they did was right. It means that you no longer let it have power over you. And you can forgive somebody without them saying, I'm sorry. See, so often we think the forgiveness has to happen when they're sorry. I have forgiven people that have never said they're sorry to me. And I'm sure people have forgiven me that I never said I'm sorry to them. Forgiveness is, I no longer want this to have a power over me, a weight over me, so I let it go in Christ Jesus. And sometimes you have to forgive in faith. Lord, this is a big one. I don't know if I can in faith. I let this go, and I forgive them. Do you realize how hard that is? That's why the next verse in verse 5 says, The apostles said to their Lord, increase our faith. Now, if your Bible's like my Bible, verses 1 through 4 have the title, Jesus warns of offenses. And then in verse 5, it has a different title that says faith and duty. So what happens is we look at these little sections and we just assume verses 1 through 4 is one section and verse 5 starts another conversation. No, read this straight through. Verse 4, if he sins against you seven times in a day and seven times in a day returns you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. And the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. See, the apostles heard this and said, we can't do this. We're supposed to just keep forgiving people and forgiving people and forgiving people? Yeah. Okay, but they're going to do it again. Yeah, forgive them. And then they're going to do it again. Yeah, then you forgive them. I I don't want to. Well, let's go to some other verses here. Let's go to Luke 6 now, please. Luke 6. They don't think they're wrong. They're not sorry. Sorry. Remember, your forgiveness is not based on them thinking they're wrong or them saying they're sorry. Your forgiveness is based on, I forgive you, I no longer let it have power over me. You may be waiting a real long time for someone to say I'm sorry. What do you do until then? Luke 6, verse 27. 
But I say to you who hear. Let me repeat that. Luke 6, verse 27. I say to you who hear. Some people will hear this, and some people will not hear this. Some people are so full of bitterness, anger, and frustration, they're no longer listening. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who spitefully use you. Take to him who strikes you on the one cheek, offer the other also. And from him who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic. Give to everyone who asks of you. And from him who takes away your goods, do not ask them back. So what do you do with that guy or that gal? You just pray for them. You pray for those who despitefully use you. You bless them. You love them. You forgive them. That's what we're supposed to do. Does this mean you stand there and keep taking it? No, please understand the full context of God's word. The Bible says you also reject a divisive man after the first and second admonition. And I'm not trying to pick on anybody. I hope it doesn't come across that way. Sometimes I'll have people come up to me and they'll talk about these situations that they're in. And it's not in marriage. Marriage is a different context within itself. Please note that. But they'll be like, I got this sister, I got this brother, I got this mom, I got this dad. And she's constantly doing this and she's just not Christ-like and it's awful and it's horrible. It creates stress and dissension and I forgive her and it comes back again. I sometimes say, well, maybe you don't need to be around him so much. Well, no, they're, they're my mom. They're, I, I get it. They're your mom, your dad, your brother, your sister. I get that. You can forgive them, have peace in your heart, but also realize this isn't really healthy. And I don't have to really spend a lot of time with them. Just be careful with that. There is wisdom sometimes in dealing with other people. You don't go to them in anger. You don't go to them in frustration. You don't go to them without the love of Jesus. But you can also stop and realize, I have forgiven, I have let it go, and I am now moving forward in the gospel. Because if I stay here and rehash it, all my time and energy is going to go back and be wasted when I'm supposed to be focused on eternity. What else are we supposed to do? Verse 31, and just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. But if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? For even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much back. But love your enemies. Do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return, and your reward will be great. And you'll be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the unthankful and evil. Look at that one more time. He is kind to the unthankful and evil. I'm supposed to be like the Lord. The Lord is kind to the unthankful and evil. I'm supposed to be like the Lord. The Lord is kind to the unthankful and evil. Verse 36. Therefore be merciful, just as your Father also is merciful. Once again, theologically, nothing difficult. It's the practical application. You've heard me say many times before, I believe that the Lord allows one unlovable person in your life to always remind you of what it's like to have agape, God-given love towards somebody. Like God loves us. It's difficult. And I believe once you learn how to love that person, the Lord says, good. He was a level 10 jerk. Now you're up to level 12. You know, and he brings them in. And you just keep loving people. Here's the catch. You're unlovable to somebody. Do you ever think about that? There's somebody sitting in church right now thinking about you saying, I just can't. (laughs) I just can't. And that pastor is teaching on love. And they're thinking of you. And they're going to end with an altar call. And they're going to go up and have tears over you. They're fasting over you. Sometimes we're unlovable. And God says, can you love them? Can you love them like I love them? Now, here is the free will choice in the Bible. You don't have to do this. You don't have to love your enemies. You don't have to pray for them. You don't have to forgive them. You don't have to do any of it. You can say, I don't want to be like Christ when it comes to this. 
Well, let's tell you what's going to happen to that. Now go with me to Hebrews, please. Hebrews 12. Little things can become big things. Relationships can become strained, tense. It can start out with a simple disagreement, and it can grow to a huge root of bitterness, Hebrews chapter 12. We can disagree. There's nothing wrong with disagreeing. I can get frustrated. There's really nothing wrong with being frustrated. It's when that frustration, that disagreement becomes sin. Hebrews 12, starting verse 14 with me, please. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Pursue peace with all people. That's always the goal I want peace with you. I want peace. You may not want peace with me, but I want peace with you. I want to represent Jesus. He's the God of peace. I want this. I, I don't want my time and energy wasted in things that don't matter. I want to focus on eternity. I will pursue peace with you. But if I choose not to, verse 15... Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. When I don't forgive, and I don't pursue peace, I get a root of bitterness in my life. Now, please note it's a root of bitterness. It's not a plant of bitterness. It's not a flower of bitterness. It's a root. Here's the catch about the root of bitterness. No one sees it. You can come to church and raise your hands and worship, serve in the back, mark your Bible, and you can be the most bitter person that we've ever seen because the root is underneath the surface. To be honest, you may not even know about the bitterness. That's why when we do communion, it's so important that we pray Psalm 139. Lord, search me, try me, see if there's any iniquity in me. Lord, look below the surface. Do I have a bitterness? Do I have a closet door in my life that I've shut that I don't want anybody to get into? Because there's a root of bitterness. Now, the problem is, verse 15, the road of Britain, this springs up. That's when it really starts to cause trouble. And many become defiled. So, husbands, you have a bad day at work. You got this guy you just can't stand. Before you go to work, you're already frustrated with him. You get to work, you're frustrated with him all day. You get home from work, and that's all you can think about him. You become bitter towards him. See, when you get home from work, you're not locking in the joy of the Lord. So, guess what? You're bitter, so now you start taking down your wife and your kids. And now your wife's bitter because you're bitter. And then the kids are frustrated because mom and dad are frustrated. And what has happened, verse 15, many have become defiled. Maybe it's not work. Maybe it's church. You're getting ready to go to church and someone says, you go to that church? Yeah. Doesn't so-and-so go to that church? Yeah. I wouldn't go there if he's going there. And then the bitterness starts to become defiled. It spreads. Then once again, all of our time and energy that could be used for eternity, devotions, and the word, loving people becomes taking sides and arguing and fighting and bitterness. And I tell you, I've seen people become bitter. It's an awful, horrible thing. I'm just going to tell you right now, in the 20 years I've been doing this, sometimes when I run into somebody who's just completely, utterly bitter, I have not had any success with them in any way whatsoever. It's the Lord in them. I, I don't know what else to say. They are so angry. They are so bitter. They have allowed things over days, weeks, months, years, decades to impact them. And they have lost their joy in the Lord. They have lost an eternal focus. They are just angry, angry people. And, and you try to do the, um, let's think about eternity. Remember what Jesus did. Forgive them. And what did Jesus ever do for me? Or that person, that person. I, I've shared this story with before. This is probably 15 years ago. We were doing discipleship out here. And we were all circled up in the back of the sanctuary. And so we were going through one of the first discipleship classes. Is this beauty of forgiveness. It's just amazing. You're forgiven. Everything. And so we're talking about Forgiveness. There was an individual that had a very, very traumatic, awful, horrible, dysfunctional childhood, and lots of awful, horrible things had happened. And so the subject came up of forgiveness. 
And they asked, can pedophiles be forgiven? Anybody can be forgiven in Christ Jesus. You can become a new creation in the Lord. So you're saying somebody that does boom, 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 boom can be forgiven and be in heaven. Yeah, they can. That's the beauty of grace mercy. doesn't take away the pain they cause. You know, doesn't anybody, it can be forgiven. Got up, walked out left, came with another person. They even wait for them to start walking down 109. They were so angry, so bitter. And that person had been through a lot. And that bitterness had become a plant. It had grown up. It defiled. This person was difficult to be around. No one wanted to be around because they're always angry, upset. You know those people. You walk on eggshells around them. You're afraid to mention things. And then you got in your mind this little chart of a family. Okay, so-and-so can't talk to so-and-so because of this and that. It's awful. We're not thinking about eternity. We're not thinking about heaven and hell. We're thinking about bitterness. It springs up, causes trouble, and defiles many. That's the flip side to not forgiving and not letting go. Now, the problem with that is some of us like to hold on to bitterness. The whole misery loves company. We'd rather walk in anger and frustration, and we have to keep rehashing it in our mind. That's the only way to keep the fires fueled and burning. Can you believe what they said? Can you believe this? Where Jesus says, forgive, forget, move on, and let it go. We have to decide which path we want to go. So with that being said now, Let's talk about what we're actually supposed to do. We've given you the two paths. Path one is forgive, pray for them, love them, be like Jesus. Path two is no bitterness. Bitterness. What are we actually supposed to do? Go with me to Matthew 5, please. Matthew 5. Here's step by step, biblically speaking, what we're supposed to do. Matthew 5. You have an issue with somebody. You've done something you shouldn't have done. Matthew 5, verse 21. You've heard that it was said to those of old, you should not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a call shall be in danger of the judgment, and whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council, but whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. So you come to church and you're in the middle of worship. And as you're trying to sing, great are you, Lord, you've got to check in your spirit. It's like, what about that other guy? You're trying to get in the word and as you get to devotions, the only thing you think about is what you've done or what somebody else has done to you. You know, it just comes up and you have this moment of you're trying to go deeper in the Lord and you can't. What are you supposed to do? You're supposed to, verse 24, leave your gift before the altar and go. You're supposed to stop what you're doing and take care of it right then and there. Now, I'm not trying to say this as I'm better than you or not because I don't mean it. This is something that I have to deal with a lot. I teach like five, six Bible studies a week. So I'm constantly in the Word preparing messages. And if Dawn and I have any type of issue in any way whatsoever, I sit down, crack open the Bible. All right, Lord, lead me. Let your spirit lead. You know, what do you want me to say here about Acts 15 or Revelation or Nehemiah or whatever? And the Lord's like, oh, you want me to lead you right now? Yes, Lord, lead me. What about your wife? Forget about her, Lord. Just lead me right now as we prepare this message to bless God's people and to present Jesus Christ to them. So you want my spirit to lead you, but yet you want to ignore what just happened at home. And you want to, yeah, Lord, I want to ignore that. 
yeah, it doesn't work that way. So I need to leave my gift at the altar, and I need to stop and contact and say, hey, listen, for the good of eternity, for the glory of God, we've got to have peace with this, because until we have peace, we can't move on. I, I can't be the shepherd you've called me to be, Lord. You can't be the, the housewife, homemaker that the Lord has given you the ministry of those kids, because this issue is going to keep causing problems. So I need to leave my gift at the altar and go right then there and make it. And maybe right now as we're hearing this message, something's on your heart. And I just encourage you, when church is done, call them, contact them, email them, text them. Make peace. Pursue peace. We're going to get to a little bit what happens if they don't. But call them, I'm sorry. Please note when you say I'm sorry, there's just two words. If you want to be really intelligent, you can say I am sorry and make it three. But it's just I'm sorry. But for some reason, we always say, I'm sorry, but. Unless their name is but, don't put that word at the end of it. I'm sorry. What we do is this, I'm sorry, but you know, when you do those things, it really makes me angry and upset, and I just get really frustrated, and you really push me. You really push me. Wait a second, I thought you said I'm sorry. I am sorry, but you need to know that you can't keep doing those things again and again and again. So it's just, I'm sorry. Or it's the dramatic pause. I'm sorry. Don't you have something to say back? I said, I'm sorry. No, they don't. You forgiving them is not based on them saying, I'm sorry. You're forgiving them is based on, Lord, I no longer want to carry this. I'm not going to be bitter over this. And I'm going to go make peace with them because it's the biblical right thing to do. And I'm not going and making peace, hoping that they're going to say this. We'll talk about building a bridge of peace and hopefully they return it. But for right here, right now, I messed up. I'm sorry, that is not the man of God I want to be or the woman of God. I'm sorry. Let it go. I don't know what they're going to do with that information. They may want to have a fight. They may want to have an argument. They want to bring up the past. Nope, I'm wrong. I'm sorry. Let it go. That's what Matthew 5 is telling you to do. Now, if you choose not to do that, you're now going to go into all the other verses we talked about. Hebrews 12 the root of bitterness will start to form. And you'll say things like this. I mean, I know I'm wrong. I know I shouldn't have done that. But they really did a lot of bad things too. Now it becomes a root of bitterness. And then you're going to get into Luke 6 of, I I pray, forgive, I don't want to do that. No, Matthew 5, I'm sorry. Hebrews chapter 12, pursue peace with all people because I don't want a root of bitterness. And when it keeps coming back up again, because that's what the enemy wants to do, you're going to go to Luke 6 and say, I need to pray for this person, I need to forgive this person. And I may need to do it seven times a day. And that's okay. Jesus went one step further and said, it's actually 70 times 7. 70 times 7. Does he literally mean 490? No, he's talking about completion. The number 7 represents a complete thing. I actually do know somebody, I'm making this up, they thought it literally was 490 times, and they would keep track. Can you imagine somebody come up to you and said, Buddy, you just did 380. I'm just telling you right now, you only got 110 left. Don't push it. They would keep track. That's not love. That's legalism. So I'm supposed to be wise as serpents, peaceful as doves. So I need to be wise and realize some relationships aren't healthy, and I need to understand that, but I also need to be peaceful, searching for and looking for forgiveness and pursuing peace. So, you go to them, Matthew 5, Hebrews 12, you pursue peace with all people, no word of bitterness. Luke 6, I pray, I forgive, I I bless, I do not curse. Still not working out. Let's go to Matthew 18, please. Matthew 18. 
We've got this passage and one more, and then we're done. Matthew 18 lays it out straightforwardly, what's supposed to happen when you have an issue. Matthew 18, verse 15, Moreover, if your brother, please note we're talking about brothers, sisters, in the Lord. If you have a non-believer and you try to do some of the stuff with, it won't work. They need to know Jesus first. If you go to a non-believer and say, well, you know, Matthew 5 told me to go make it right. Um, Luke 6 says I'm supposed to pray for you and forgive you, pursue peace with you. They may not care. This, though, we're dealing with believers. This, we're dealing with believers. If you're dealing with a non-believer, you just got to pray they come to know Jesus Christ. And hopefully when they come to know Jesus Christ, they can forgive as they've been forgiven in Christ Jesus. But we're dealing with believers right here. Verse 15, More of if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. But if he will not hear, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him become to you like a heathen and a tax collector. And surely I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you that if two or you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. Real quick before we get into this, we like to quote verse 20 a lot. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. Great verse. You know, we have two people at the prayer group. We have two people for worship, two people. Please note the context of verse 20 is church discipline. Wherever two or three are gathered together in my name, we can do church discipline. How is church discipline supposed to work? Verse 15, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. I don't know how else to stress that. It's you and one person alone. It is not you talking to 50 other people first collecting advice, counsel, ideas. It's you and one person. It's not you getting a posse together and saying, let's go confront this person. It is you and him alone. That is step one. Because the goal is, if he hears you, you have gained your brother. That is the goal. So often we want to jump ahead to the church, verse 17. I get this a lot. Pastor, will you come with me to talk to this person? Why? They did this. Will you talk to them about it? No, that's why I'm asking you to come with me. Well, Matthew 18 says you're supposed to go to him alone. Well, they won't listen to me. You don't know until you go. And I always tell people, it's not that I'm trying to get out of difficult situations. I'm trying to handle this biblically. Matthew 18 is you take somebody with you alone and you try to deal with it. And I cannot, let me stress this again. You don't talk about it with everybody. You don't bring everybody into it. I I just want to contact you and say, listen, you said this, you did this. Did I take it the wrong way? Because I'm bothered by this. Can we air this out for the eternal glory of God? I hope they will. Let's say they won't. Verse 16, take two or more witnesses with you. Please note they're witnesses, not judge, jury, and executioner. I've seen people do this where they bring a couple people. I brought two people that are on my side. Well, then I'll bring two people out on my side. It's like West Side Story. we got the Sharks and the Jets. We're going to have a little fight right here. No, these are two people that you guys hopefully trust spiritually and biblically that you can sit down and say, we're going to talk this out, and you are witnesses. We're not going to finish this and look at you and say, okay, who do you guys vote for? All right, I got two for him and one for him. Split jury, but you win. No. Witnesses. Are, are we handling this biblically? Are we doing this for the glory of the Lord? You know, I had a situation not too long ago where somebody wanted to talk about something and I didn't think it was going to go real well from their part and also from my part. And so I said, Rich, come, come sit in on this. And I said, Rich, you're just a witness. 
You're, you're not there to take sides. Just you're, you're a witness. Make sure it's handled biblically. Make sure it's handled appropriately. And, you know, when I got done with the conversation, I asked Rich, I said, did I do anything unscriptural? And he said, no. And I said, okay, that's, you, you were a witness. I appreciate that. Let's try to follow Matthew 18. But please note the progression. Alone and then people that care and will pray. It will make sure it's biblical and straightforward. Once again, this is not gangs trying to pick a side. Verse 17, if you refuse to hear them, then you take it to the church. I tell people all the time, you don't want to get to this point. We don't. We want to be a church that's moving forward in the gospel. We don't want to be a church that's taking care of these things. Do we have to every now and then? Yeah, we do. We've got to ask to talk to somebody. We have to get some of the board members around. We've got to sit down. We've got to do this. And we hope they listen. But verse 17, if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. Corinthians takes it one step further. Paul says, don't even eat with them. It's not that you're trying to be angry or rude. You're saying, we have gone through step after step after step. To get to that point, you're four steps into the process. And you're stopping and saying, listen, you claim to be a born-again believer, and you're not living it. You, you have been admonished and rebuked individually. You've been admonished and rebuked in a group. The leadership of the church sat down and talked to you. You're in a really dangerous area here. And we love you enough to tell you this. And you never wanted to get to that point. You really don't. But the truth is, there's a reason why this is outlined biblically to do this. Because sometimes it does get to that point. And it's really difficult because it gets to that point. And most people don't know the full story. And this next thing you know, people are angry and upset. And thought you were supposed to represent love and Jesus and truth. And here you are. And it's like, you don't know. You don't know the conversations that have happened behind closed doors. We're trying to follow this biblically. And like I said, you don't want it to get to that point. And it's sad when it does. So what are we really supposed to do? Here's our last passage. Can you go with me to Romans 12, please? This bears mentioning, though, as you're going to Romans 12, 1 Corinthians was written to say sometimes you have to take that very difficult form of discipline. 2 Corinthians was written to tell you Hey, the guy repented. Bring him back. The church is also supposed to be the first to forgive and to say we can move forward in this. Romans 12, we covered this last week, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but it really sums up everything we've talked about. Verse uh, 16. Be of the same mind towards one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. We have the same mind. Goal. Salvation. Jesus Christ, glory of the Lord. That's our goal. That's our same mind. This is what Jesus prayed for in the Gospels. This is what Paul talks about in Ephesians. We are shooting for that goal. I will not be wise in my own opinion. I will let my opinions go. And I will have prayed over opinions, backed up a scripture. I will do James chapter 3. I will plant seeds of peace, be gentle, willing to yield. Not self-seeking, not confusing, not the doctrine of demons. We talked about that last week. Verse 17, repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. I will not go down to their level. I will not fight fire with fire. I will not allow their bitterness and anger to control my joy. Do not let one person have that much control over your life. Your joy is based in Jesus Christ. Repay no one evil for evil. Verse 18, if it is possible, which means sometimes it's not possible. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, 
Live peaceably with all men. I want to be able to stand before the Lord and say, I did everything I could through the Spirit, through the Word, to have peace in this situation. This person has rejected peace, but I am blameless and I have a clear conscience, Lord. I am trying. The Lord knows my heart. So what happens if they're not willing to listen? Verse 19, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves. Rather, give place to wrath for as written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. I let the other person over to the Lord. It says in 1 Corinthians, you give the person over Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Now, for some of you, that sounds real good. <laughs> I actually get to pray to give someone over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. That's the greatest thing I've ever heard. But the rest of the verse says that their soul may be saved. Because you're trying to see them right eternally. So when you sit here and you hear this and you say, this is not fair. I'm supposed to let the Lord avenge. I'm supposed to let the Lord step in. Vengeance is mine, I will repay. Well, the Lord's not doing anything. He's keeping track. Well, I don't see him keeping track. This person's getting away with it. Oh, they're not getting away with anything. Do you realize if they're not saved, they have to stand before God themselves at the great white throne judgment, Revelation 20? They're not getting away with anything. It sounds like they're getting away with it on this earth, but the Lord is keeping track of their works, and they will stand before God and give an account of how they live their lives. Verse 20, Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you'll heap coals of fire on his head. Verse 21 sums it up wonderfully. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Worship team, if you want to come forward. You may have something where the Lord has laid it on your heart that you need to go to someone and say, I'm sorry. I cannot stress to you enough sooner rather than later. Leave your gift at the altar. You may have someone that you need to forgive. I cannot stress to you, do it right away, lest the root of bitterness spring up and defile many. We only have so much time and energy in the day. Let's not spend it fighting each other when we have souls that need to be saved in Jesus Christ. Let's not just talk about this. Let's live this. Let's really, really be the body of Christ that does this.